Welcome to the Real Life English Podcast, where we help dedicated English learners just like you cultivate the courage, the confidence, and the skills that you need to understand real life native English, to communicate clearly with people from all around the world, and to make your life an epic global adventure. Now, are you ready to go beyond the classroom and start living your English? Can I get an aw yeah? Based on a popular request, we are talking about differences in schooling in the USA, UK, and Australia. It's actually pretty shocking how different they are in these three English speaking countries. So, we will explain what the journey looks like through the schooling system in each country and important terms and vocabulary that you need to know related to this. And you may even find this helpful if you plan on studying abroad or applying to a university in an English speaking country. And don't forget that if you want to learn more, About this topic, head on over to our Instagram at reallife.english for an exclusive lesson there. Oh, yeah, boys and girls, citizens of the world, this is Ethan from Real Life English, where we believe that listening to podcasts is a fun, natural, convenient, and chic way to learn English. So, download this podcast and listen to it while you're Bored in class, reading a comic book, or even working on your college or university application. Oh,、uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm joined here in the Global Studio, first of all, by the lovely Andrea. How's it going, Andrea? I'm doing well, thank you. A little bit hot. It's getting super hot here in Barcelona. It's sweltering, sweltering in Barcelona. Oh, what does that mean? It's like it's muggy. That'd be another word, right? Where it's like really hot and humid. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to complain because I love summer, but yeah, super hot, but happy. I'm the same. Definitely not as easy if you're not chilling on the beach. And. Of course, by the Thunder Down Under. How's it going, Ollie? What's up, Ethan Andrea? Hello, everyone listening. How are you? Doing very well. What's the temperature like down there in the land down under? Well, it's actually winter, but I'm still locked up in hotel quarantine, so I haven't had a look at the weather. But right now, <laughs> at 7 16 in the evening, it's 13 degrees. Not bad for a winter's day, winter's night. Not too bad. Not too bad. Hopefully, soon you'll be able to enjoy the great outdoors there. The great outdoors. I think that's a TV show here. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> to me, it sounds like a, a very American term. You have to enjoy the outback, right? Yeah, the outback. You can say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're flipping things around a little bit in today's podcast. We're going to start off with a quote. This quote is from Malcolm X, and people might remember Malcolm X as the、uh, civil rights activist in the US during the 60s. And 70s? Is that right, Ethan? That sounds about right. I'm not so great with dates. <laughs> yeah. Well, today's podcast is about education, so I thought it would be good to have an education quote. And Malcolm X once said, which is still relevant today, that education is the passport to the future, for tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. And I think basically this quote, I think he's talking about the fact that. The world is quite unequal, and a lot of people still these days aren't. Afforded the right to schooling and education. And I think, like, you know,、uh, we were talking before the podcast, and Andrea said that if everyone had access to education, the world would be so different. And I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. And even just beyond access to education, like access to a high level of education and being able to learn things that really will 
develop their minds for, you know, the, the world of the future. I think that we're still, that's something they say a lot is that the schooling system is still kind of educating people for a world that's industrial, you know, where you're going to be working in a factory or something. But nowadays there's all of these new things that are coming up that are going to be so important in the next 10, 15, 20 years. And they're kind of swept under the rug. They're kind of ignored. So I think that that's something too, that if we could start giving people an education on things that are really going to help them be prepared for that world, kind of like the skill set to be ready for anything, then that would just make a humongous impact on the world and our abilities as individuals. And then, you know, as communities, as countries, and as different nations working together to combat the big problems that we're probably going to be facing in the next decades. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. So before we get into today's main topic, diving deep into education, let's give a shout out to a very special listener and app user out there. So today's shout out comes from Najma Ahmed. And this person says, it is a good way of experiencing new things. I like this app because it always has something convenient. It's powerful and gives motivation to people who are learning English. And it's pretty generous in giving tips for learning English. It provides the best experience and easiest way of leveling up your learning journey. It's a fun way of learning. This app has made an enormous connection to the global world. It makes me feel like I'm in a family. It's a great app and I highly recommend it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. amazing. Yeah, that's an incredible testimonial about the app. So if you have not yet downloaded the Real Life app, it can be as Naima or Najma sorry, probably butchering your name, is saying here, it's great to improve your listening with this podcast because you get the full transcripts for every episode and you can learn all of the vocabulary, you get definitions for all of it. So that can be a really great accompaniment to listening to this podcast. But in addition to that, you can connect to people from all around the world, make new friends, learn about other cultures. That's going to help to improve not only your English, but also your life. So if you want us to shout you out, then you can leave us a five-star rating in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, which is what she or he did. But if you're not using that app yet and you are listening to us in Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a five-star review there because this helps other people from around the world discover the podcast and have a lot of fun learning with us. That said, we are now going to jump into the main topic today, all about the schooling systems and the differences that they have in different English-speaking countries. All right. Andrea, do you want to do the honors? Let her rip. Sure. So to start off with, we can talk about the different types of schools that we have, because I'm not sure about Australia and the US, but we tend to have three types of schools, which are state schools, which are government funded schools. Maybe they're called something different um, in your countries. And we have private schools. And we also have public schools, which when you hear public school, you'd probably think that it's a government one, but it's not. These are, again, kind of private institutions. Um, they're not like state run. That's so confusing. It is so confusing. But funny you say that because when I used to live in the UK and I learned about the name public schools, I was like, oh, that's weird because in Australia, we call public schools government funded schools. So we have public schools, we have 
a lot of religious schools, actually. I went to a Catholic school. Uh, we have private or independent schools, uh, but we also have, like, same-sex schools, all boys, all girls, and even, um, I'm sure you have them in the UK and the US, but sports schools that are, like, um, designed for people who play, like, rugby or something like that. Like even young people. Yeah, even young people, yeah. I mean, like, from 13 years old. I don't know if we have that. That's, like, in university, yes, but... Maybe that exists. I've never heard of that in the U.S. It's interesting, though, because Andrea said, like, public school is another type of private school, but public school for us would be the government-funded school. So that's, like, the one that the majority of people go to. And then we have private schools. Like, I went to private school in middle school, which we'll talk about what that is if people don't know. Uh, and we also, like Ollie was saying, we have religious schools. So you could go to Catholic school, for example. It's pretty common. Uh, and a lot of the same ones, like we might call it the all boys school or the all girls school. You might also hear it called boarding school. It doesn't necessarily have to be all boys or all girls, but I think that's pretty common. Uh, and that's maybe like something parents will threaten if a child is bad is like, we're going to send you off to boarding school or even to like military school. And boarding school is like where you sleep over there overnight, right? Right. Boarding school is generally away somewhere and it's you live and study at the school. And this is from like a, a young age. I'm not sure from what age that starts, but I think maybe 10, 12, 13, something like that. Yeah, we have boarding schools as well. And people even come a lot from abroad. Like I have a friend who's from Macau. And I think from the age of seven, he was sent to boarding school in the UK. So he was really young. And I think it was quite hard on him. But that does, that does sometimes happen as well. Yeah, I feel like that would be really hard for parents too. Most parents like let their child from such a young age be living outside of the house, right? Yeah. And uh, well, I worked in one of these schools, like the kids were between six and 11. And there's a lot of responsibility on the people who work at the school because you're basically like, I saw my, I was 18. I saw myself as like a big brother rather than like a, you know, a law, not lawmaker, enforcer of the law, disciplinarian. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had to, Crack the whip, right? Crack the whip, yeah. Lay down the law. But there was, yeah, like people, young kids get homeschooled a lot. So I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about boarding school necessarily. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's another option is homeschooling, isn't it? It's, mm. At least in the USA is that sometimes it's popular for parents to have their kids stay home, especially if one of the parents doesn't uh, work outside of the house and actually be homeschooled. So the parents will self-educate the children. Yeah, yeah I don't <laughs> I don't think it's that popular in the UK, but it does happen, yeah. I think, like, the pandemic has changed things because of this online learning. The parents have, like, taken more of a role in their kids' <laughs> education. <laughs> yeah, That's true. But I think it's, it's somewhat, I don't know if controversial would be the right word, but because kids don't get the same level of socialization, and so that can be kind of a drawback. If they're not participating in some sort of club or something outside of the homeschooling, then it can be bad for their social development. You said drawback. What does that mean? Oh, a drawback is a negative aspect of something, right? Like a disadvantage, yeah. Yeah. And you talking about boarding schools in the UK, that reminds me of the episode of The Crown where I think it's Prince Charles <laughs> is sent off to boarding school, right? And just creates like an awful relationship with his father. Yeah. And that was kind of like a military one as well, I think. And like Prince Charles was quite sensitive. So he found it really tough. He didn't want to stay there. But uh, Prince Philip was very strong in making that decision. I think because he couldn't control a lot, he was like, this is something I can control. You're going to this school. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so bad for Prince Charles in that that episode. Yeah, definitely. Just that episode. <laughs> Just that. <laughs> I suppose throughout the series, right? 
<laughs> I feel like all of my British cultural education comes from watching The Crown. So <laughs> <laughs> you need to get into Downton Abbey, but that's getting off track a little bit. There you go. That's probably a good segue, though, to talking about something that we kind of have hinted at already, the different levels, because I think this changes quite a bit, especially in the U.S. compared to Commonwealth countries. So maybe you can start off with the U.K. and Ollie and I can chime in with some things that might be different. Yeah, this is so interesting, I think, because it is quite different and you tend to have to explain these terms a lot because I guess we're aware of the differences. Um, So in the UK, when you're a young child, you'll start to go to nursery. So that's usually until about four years old. And then from when you're four years old, in that year where you turn five, you start primary school. Yeah. Um, We call it preschool. And then we start primary school when we're five. Some, Some people start at four, but it's more common to start at five. And the first year of primary school is kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we also call it preschool, but we, we could use preschool or daycare. Mm. And I think the difference, I could be mistaken, but for me, daycare is a place that's like they just specialize in in that and like watching the kids while the parents are at work, the kids that aren't old enough to go to the proper school yet. And preschool is actually like at the school for the kids that aren't, that are still too young they're like under five, so they're not starting, you know, the actual schooling yet, but it's still, they can go there and be in, in the preschool. So I believe that's the difference in the USA. And then like Ollie said, when you're five um, or around that, then you would go to kindergarten would be like the, the first the first level. Mm, we call that reception. So like after you finish nursery, yeah, <laughs> that class is reception. I know, it's so weird. <laughs> and then you start in year one, the year after that, and then it just keeps going up in years. Yeah. Kindergarten's actually a German word, mm. which means garden of children. Kindergarten cop, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, I, before I, I did know, I did um, do a little bit of research and it's actually called kindergarten is different compared on the name is different depending on the state. But the state that I live in, in New South Wales, it's called uh, Kindergarten. So, And Kindergarten Cop is, you know, a classic film that you must watch. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yeah. Arnie. <laughs> yeah. Arnie. I remember watching that movie after I became a teacher again. And I'm like, what is that teacher doing? Like, And you know, like when the fire alarm goes and they're just all running in the halls, you're like, that should not happen. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's like a, fi- a fire a fire drill that's part of the schooling yeah. system right or in the usa something we have that i bet you don't have is like gun drills oh. <laughs> so if someone yeah. just in case a shooter comes into the school you have to know you know hide under your desk yeah, wow. that's very, it's very sad tr- we had one of these when i was a, like not a drill we had an actual one when i was in high school and it's like you know, had to, the the teacher had to like lock the doors and everything. And I was actually, interestingly, in like theater class. So there weren't any tables to hide under because that's what you're supposed to do. And so she's like, we're just going to put on a movie and watch a movie until <laughs> this opens wow. up. Had an interesting theater. But, Terrifying. Uh, hmm. So that's something unique and unfortunate to the U.S., in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we, we don't have to do that here. Do you have like dingo drills in Australia? No, we don't. We just have the we have the fire drill, uh, and we also have like those type of drills. But it's not for gun. It's just if like a stranger, stranger danger. If a stranger comes into the school, and had to lock up. That's something like that. Yeah. All right. So, would you call primary school the same thing in Australia? 
Yeah, it's primary school, yeah. Primary school as well. So in the U.S., this is where things start to get interesting. So that would be called elementary school. And I think the years are the same, it seems like, that it's uh, you have kindergarten. That's often a part of the elementary school. And then from this time you're 6 to you're 11 years old, you have elementary school. Hmm. Yeah, that's the same ages then as primary school for us. All right, so what comes after? You're, are you just set free at 11 years old? <laughs> so in the UK, we go to secondary school. So obviously you have primary, then you have secondary. Um, but I think maybe nowadays... The British words seem really <laughs> boring, don't they? It's like reception, <laughs> primary school, secondary school. Yeah, we can update it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Australia, we would go to also secondary school. I think we say that a little bit differently. Uh, but it's more commonly known as high school. And this is for years 7 to 12. So um, kids who are aged between 12 and 13... To 18. But sometimes you can go for your last two years at school, you can go to college, which is a different school. So I spent four years in high school at one school. And then at the end, when I was 16, I spent my last two years at a college for the last two years. Mm-hmm. This gets confusing, I think, with right. the American system. Uh, and also something I wanted to point out, because you said two different things. You said years seven to 12, but then like ages. So what's the difference between those two? Because I think people could hear years, whatever, and think that that's years old, right? Yeah, because you call it grades, don't you? And we say year groups and you have grades. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think the year group just refers to the academic year, right? Right. Yeah. But that could be, that's definitely, it sounds confusing. I think I learned that from like Harry Potter because like the books like they'd say like year one, year two and stuff. And then, you know, learn that, that means like that they're in their first grade, grade, their first year of the school, not they're one year old. Uh, for me, grade means mark. What uh, what grade did I get on the exam? Oh, it's your grade. <laughs> it's the same for us, yeah. Yeah, we use, I guess that's confusing as well because we use that for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for us, secondary school starts from year seven, but you are 11 years old, turning 12. Probably. Yeah, so yeah. that that's a, a good thing for people to have clarified. For us, it would be we we have two schools here, but it's the timing's different from what you were saying in Australia because we go to middle school, which is I think it's kind of weird that this exists in the U.S., but it's I think it's it's actually kind of good because it's when like you're going through puberty and it's <laughs> maybe good to have like those kids separated from like the older kids and the younger kids in some sense. Maybe that's why they did it. And this is called middle school, but it can also be called junior high because it's like what comes before high school. Um, And this might be sometimes like two buildings that are connected or something, the junior high and like the high school. But the ones I went to were, like I said, I went to a private middle school. So it was a completely different part of the town. Um, And you go to middle school, it would be for us sixth grade to eighth grade. So you'd be like 12 to 14 years old or like 11 turning 12 to 14 years old. And then after that, you'll go to high school, which you're... 15, 16, 17, 18. So it's four years. And we don't have, for, for us, college is something different, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But one of the things I was curious about is, do you guys have like names for those different years? No, not really. So middle school for us, I guess the equivalent is when you're in year seven, eight, and nine, like those first three years of high school. And we have key stages. I don't know if we want to get into it too much, but in the UK, like key stage one is year one and two. Then you Mm. have key stage two and that's years three, four, five, and six. Then when you start high school, that's key stage three. And then the last two years, 
of high school a key stage four. So like we have these kind of sections, but we don't necessarily call them like different schools. And once you go to secondary school, you are at that school for five years. In the UK, it's five years. So you do three years where, you know, you don't get to choose your subjects and you do all the compulsory subjects. And then in year nine, so when you're like 14 years old, you get to choose. So you have to do five compulsory subjects and then you get to choose four or five subjects that you want to study for your GCSE exams that you do in year 10 and 11. Wow, this is so different (laughs) from the US. It's almost like you have something at the end of your high school that's like preparing you for university, right? Yeah. So when you finish high school or secondary school at year 11, you're 16 and you can leave school and you can go and get a job and start working or you can continue. Many schools in the UK, they have what we call a sixth form um, and you basically choose the subjects you want to study we do a levels and usually do like three or four maybe five and those those are the kinds of subjects you choose based on what you want to study if you go to university it's pretty much exactly the same back in australia but we call it the high school certificate in my state anyway it 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 varies depending on the state you're in um, but yeah, it's the, the exams, you get to choose six subjects. If you go to a religious school, you have to choose religion. So I had to study religion. Um, oh, I don't know why I'm <laughs> laughing at that, but, um, yeah. And, th- and then those exams prepare you for university, but no, uh, going back to what we said about like what, what we call ourselves, like in primary school, we call it stages, but like once you get into high school, it's just what year are you in? I'm in year seven. I'm in year 12. I'm in, it's not like... <laughs> the states <laughs> where you have all these names wouldn't it be great if there was some way to understand real english without getting lost and without getting bored well now there is with our real life native immersion course we will take you on a 41 week real life adventure of the english language each week exploring a different topic connected to our goal to help you understand and use real native english and make it a permanent part of your life in a way that is fun natural and convenient the best part is you can try it for free with our three-part power learning series we will send it to your email just go to reallifeglobal.com slash pod, that's P-O-D, to sign up. Now, let's get back to today's podcast lesson. So that's something, I guess, unique to the U.S. is that we have for each year, you could say, you know, you're in grade 9, grade 10, grade 11, grade 12, or you're a 12th grader, you're 11th grader, and so on. But we also have other names that we we'll use that when you're ninth grade, you're a freshman, when you're in 10th grade, you're a sophomore. When you're in 11th grade, you're a junior, and when you're in 12th grade, you're a senior. And then this carries over also to university. That's like your first year, you'd be called a freshman, second year, sophomore, and so on. And actually there, if you're some people, because maybe they take a lot of extracurriculars or they take a while to figure out what they want to study in university, and so they end up having to study five years. So if you are in your fifth year, you'd be called a super senior. (laughs) Wow. It's like... It's like you're on the pension. <laughs> but what you were explaining, I think, uh, about the the system in the UK and, and Australia for high school, it's very different than 
the U.S. because we don't we don't have like this preparation before you go to university, or we don't have like a GCSE exam. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. Or like certain subjects that you're picking or anything like that. Uh, but it's very familiar to me because I, I studied actually abroad in high school in Germany, and the system was very similar to that. Like the last two years, you're choosing what you want to focus on and taking an exam like that. But I always thought the weirdest thing about that was having everyone in one school. So even being you know, in 11th grade or whatever the case was and seeing like these little <laughs> sixth graders running around and stuff, it just was a bizarre sort of thing. Just before you go, we actually have schools from kindergarten to year 12, like the independent schools. So you'll see everyone mixing wow. together. Crazy. <laughs> Sounds like a zoo. <laughs> Kangaroos running around. <laughs> Yeah, it is quite tough, really, because I remember when I was at school, I mean, I knew what A-levels I wanted to do because I knew what I enjoyed and loved. But then it's quite hard. Not everyone knows what they want to study at university. And like, even when I was applying, I was in two minds and I kept changing my mind. But in the US, you can do like, do you major and minor and stuff? So you can like mix things up and then you finally decide when you're at university or like your college, you then decide what you want to major in while you're at university. No, that's in, that's actually in university. You can have majors and minors, but that, that's the thing that's kind of bizarre for me is Already for us going into university, there's a lot of people who don't know what they want to study and they, they'll, um, they'll be called undeclared majors. So it's kind of like they'll have you your first year. If you haven't declared your major yet, you're just kind of doing a, a potpourri of different courses and stuff to ascertain what your interests are. But I feel like in, in the U.S., our high school is, is more geared towards this anyway because it's more so that you'll have uh, required classes that, you, that everyone has to take. So it's like you have to take um, a certain amount of credits in mathematics. You have to take a certain amount of credits in sciences, but then you have extracurriculars. So, uh, and this probably depends on the school that you're going to in the States as well. But at my school, for example, I took journalism for two semesters because that was something I was really interested in. I took photography um, I'm trying to think what other classes I took like this. That's why all your photos on the thumbnails are better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must spend that that one semester of doing <laughs> photography or trimester. And that's in high school. And that's in high school. Yeah, wow. I did like gra graphic design as well. Um, so I, it's kind of like you have these base things that everyone has to take, but it does allow you to try out your curiosity. And they had all sorts of things. Um, you know, so I think someone could figure out pretty quickly if they wanted to just do a trade, like uh, do, doing something like building furniture or or working with like metals and stuff like that, because there there were like classes for that, or doing more something related to art. Uh, but you know, everyone had to take kind of the basic things that you have to know. And then we do have an exam, but it's not something that necessarily everyone will study for so much. We have the SATs and the ACTs. And they're similar standardized tests, and it kind of depends what state you're in. Um, I actually had to take the, we took the ACTs in Colorado, and I actually took it twice because the first time I didn't do very well because I'm really bad at standardized tests. And then I actually studied more for it and, and did better the second time around. And this is important because then basically when you go into university, they'll look at a few different things. They'll look at your GPA, which is your grade point average which basically four is the best you can get. If you have a 4.0, that means that you got A's in all of your classes. You got the highest marks in all of your classes during high school. And so like anything between three and four in general is considered pretty good. Uh, so they'll look at that. They'll look at your SAT or ACT scores. And then 
obviously like your application, usually you have to write some sort of essay for the application. And then they'll also look at your resume. So they'll see, you know, did you do things outside of school that are interesting or do you have something that's diverse about you or, you know, where does your family come from? Maybe if you're from a different country, that's something that the universities can value or if you speak different languages. So they'll kind of look at all of these things to decide whether or not to accept you to the university. And this can be very difficult depending on the university you want to go to. It can be very challenging to get accepted. So having these extra things can actually be as important as actually having good grades so that you were part of a club or you did volunteer work or, you know, you're really interested in riding horses or whatever the case is. <laughs> Stressful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, ours is literally based on your A-level <laughs> grades. Like we have a system called UCAS that you use to apply to university mm. and they just want to know like your score basically mm. how I think it's changed slightly now but like your UCAS points and you need to it's based on like a b c grades I don't know if it's changed a little bit now I think the grading system has changed but yeah they don't look at all those other things so much that's later on when you want to apply for a job I think yeah that makes sense but I guess there's just so much competition in the U.S. I mean, the the university system, I think, is quite unique compared to other countries in that, you know, you can go anywhere in the country that you want and there's very prestigious schools and whatnot. And so if you want to go to Harvard or Stanford or these Ivy League schools that a lot of people have probably heard of, it's like you have to you have to have really good grades. You have to have a really good mark on your um, on the standardized test. And then you also have to be you have to really stand out from the crowd because they have such a low acceptance rate, that it's really important, you know, that you've done interesting things outside of just your education that make you unique because they tend to look for having a diverse student body going to these universities. So people who are really smart and and quite diverse. What's a student body? I find that so interesting. We don't use <laughs> that term. body. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> uh, if only people could see the video. Oh, <laughs> Oh, student bodies like the the entire group of students that go to an institution mm-hmm. yeah what you've just described I remember from watching tv series and things like that like for example in the Sopranos I remember when their daughter was applying to college and they were trying to get like um referral letters as well from people that worked at some colleges um you know to recommend like a yeah a letter of recommendation and things like that as well i think i had to ask for those as well from my high school teachers you know or from you know someone if you worked at a place like you could get one from your boss or yeah i remember that from applications that sometimes you needed a recommendation letter yeah it sounds um i actually watched a documentary about like the there was a bit of corruption going on about people getting into certain schools mm. because of that type of system but you know we're we're very similar to um the uk in the sense that we call it uac <laughs> university admissions center or something like that and um you basically choose six schools six degrees you don't actually even look at the well you can choose the university but you look at the degree that you want to study so if you want to study a bachelor of business at sydney university you put that as your first Mm. option and then they'll look at your score compared to other people's scores and they'll choose the the top people and if you don't get into that you'll get your second option but like i think we view university as a right (laughs) if you want to go and study if you get enough mm-hmm. marks. And once you're in studying, um, there's no upfront freeze unless you want to. By upfront, I mean you pay as you study. We call it a hex debt and um, the government pays for your university and you don't start paying 
the government back until you earn over, I think it's 42,500 Australian dollars. So that's like, I don't know, 25,000 American dollars or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Student debt is just like a huge problem in the USA now because I'd be curious to know how much like people tend to pay in, in your guys' countries. But in the US, uh, I mean, I went to a public university, so it wasn't as much at least back then. And the other thing that's really interesting is if you go to a public school in your same state where you're a resident, then it's cheaper than if you go out of state. And it's like a lot cheaper. So like, I think I was paying something like 4,000 per semester, $4,000 per semester. But I had a roommate who was from out of state and he was paying something like 20,000 per semester. So he was paying, you know, five times more than I was just because he wasn't a resident in that state. So that's kind of something I think pretty unique to the United States as well. Yeah. Actually, I was living with a, an American in Bolivia and she went home and she said, I just can't afford to um, pay off my student debt. I need to go back and earn, you know, US dollars to pay off my debt. See, when I was studying uni, when I started university, it was free. Like it, it depends on the government that's in power <laughs> at the time and everything. Because my sister went to university f- for free. I did. But they changed the rules in my final year. But even then it was something like £1,200 for the year, which is a lot less than the US and a lot less than now. Now the conservative government changed it again recently and it's a fixed fee for whichever university you go to. You pay £9,000 a year if you are a resident. That's just for your tuition fees. So then of course many students take out a student loan and then that also helps with their living expenses and things. So really my generation, maybe there'd be kind of like maximum £30,000 in debt after university. But now it's just, it's like getting closer to the US. I mean, it's still a lot less expensive, I think, but it's that kind of level. I also think governments have like a thing against universities because like they challenge <laughs> something like, like intellectual thought. They challenge the government's decisions. Like how can we make those universities pay? But I will say before we, <laughs> um, before we wrap up that international students in Australia is like our second largest export. So it's like up there with like exporting, you know, iron ore to China and things like that. So we have tons and tons of students from Asia that come and study at like the universities because I think we have six in the top 100, which is not bad. (laughs) Wow. So yeah. That's great. We could probably do like another episode just on universities because I don't know, there's so much to talk about with the, the differences and everything. And even potentially giving people different tips to get into schools in different countries if you're thinking about that. But uh, hopefully this has kind of given people an intro into the topic. And if you're wanting to go and investigate studying in an English-speaking country, you might have some tools that will help you to understand a little bit more of the processes. And if you want to learn more on the subject of education in our countries, we're going to do a special lesson over on our Instagram at reallife.english. So be sure to check that out as well. And we'll see you next week on the Real Life English podcast. One, two, three. Ah, yeah. 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 <laughs> hey again, I hope you enjoyed today's lesson. Don't be a stranger. You can find all the notes like vocabulary, links, and more for this lesson on our blog at reallifeglobal.com. And connect with us and on Instagram at reallife.english for even more fun English recommendations. 
Do you want to continue your learning and get confident, fluent English? Then I have a couple great recommendations for you. First of all, check out our YouTube channel, Learn English with TV series, where you can have fun learning to understand fast-speaking natives with your favorite movies, series, and more without getting lost, without missing the jokes, and without subtitles. Second, if you like our podcast, then our real-life native immersion course is perfect for you. It is the next best thing to studying abroad in an English-speaking country. Try it for free with our three-part power learning series. Just go to reallifeglobal.com slash pod to sign up. Finally, if you are enjoying our podcast, then please assist us in helping more people go beyond the classroom and live their English. You can do this by sending a link to this podcast to a friend or by leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening. We might even shout you out on the podcast. Stay healthy and safe, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Aw, yeah.